0: Uh, Our family has had the opportunity to go to Life Action Family Camp the last four summers, the first time just to attend. Now we get to do some speaking at that event. But it really is an amazing opportunity for your family and for families all across the country uh, to come together to pause uh, from the busyness of life to reconnect to God and to each other, and then engage in mission together. One of the things we love most about Life Action Family Camp is they give every member of the family an opportunity to engage in mission together as a family. We have a theme every summer that applies to how you can grow together as a family, how you can be on mission to God together as a family. Our family loves going. Our kids would go without us uh, if we did not go every summer. Uh, We're about 90% booked for summer of 2019, which is great news for us. But a great opportunity for you. We've got some brochures and things at our book table out there, Resource Center, uh, in the main part of the church building. You can check those out. You can go online to lifeactioncamp.com and learn more. Uh, we're helping lead a week next summer with Greg and Patty. So if you've enjoyed having us around the last two years, uh, we're excited to be able to do that together next summer. Uh, I think it's towards the end of August. But any speaker that you come to is one of our speaker team that goes to these events across churches and, and are great uh, resources for you to help you grow in your marriage and family life together. Uh, Single um, parents sometimes come. Uh, Parents with young children, parents with teenagers, parents with college-age children come. Grandparents sometimes come and bring their older kids and grandkids. It's just a great opportunity all together to to come together and And have a vacation uh, with a purpose. It's about eight hours from here, uh, but we have families that come from 15 to 20 hours away to be a part of Life Action Family Camp next summer. Uh, If it's interested to you, we'd love to have a conversation with you about that. Uh, Mags, why don't you share something as a mom uh, that hates camping, what's so great about Life Action Camp?
1: Well, I I like to think that I'm one of those girls that likes camping, but I really like a nice, clean bathroom. Um, And your own bed. And my own. Okay, I like my own bed and everything else. But So here's the thing about the camp is um, there's nice cottages, and um, so it's not camping, actually. You can bring a tent. You would be the rare person that brought a tent, but you could do that. Michigan summers are the best. Now, when I was growing up in Arkansas and I watched the news in the winter of what Michigan people, the blizzards they were going through – Literally, this is what I said. I was like, they are idiots for living there. And now I live there. Um,
0: (laughs) But not in the winter anymore. But not in the
1: winter anymore. But the summer is why they live there. So when you guys are, you can't go outside, that's why you should come to Michigan. And we only live like six minutes away from the camp, our house. So we would come see you. Wouldn't that be great? So it's great. The best thing about family camp, is they said they give you a family assistant. No joke, like if you don't actually want to be with your children (laughs) at family camp, (laughs) let's be real, like, come on, you need a break. That's not the point. Yeah, you need a break. So one of our team members or uh, someone like them will come and they will help you with your children and it's glorious.
0: They'll help take your kids to the food line, all your meals are provided for you, a great opportunity to check that out, lifeactioncamp.com, hope you'll... Consider that. We're going to jump in here now to our third session. Uh, we're going to talk about um, kid stuff, commitments that we make in parenting. So that's kind of our topic for this third session here. Um, I think there's truth that you can apply in these messages, whether your kids are in the young stages, so whether they're newborn or on the way, or you've got kids that are grown out of the house. I think there's some things here to apply for all of these uh, sessions uh, throughout the course of this morning, but certainly uh, this one as well. We're going to show a video here of what, um, again, some, some ways that we're uh, trying to learn how to communicate well with our kids. Another Tim Hawkins video here related to parenting. We've watched that a couple dozen times now, and it still never gets old to us either. It's really, really clever, witty stuff. Child psychologist stood before a group of fellows at a conference and announced, before I was married, I had three theories about raising children. Now I have three children and zero theories, Okay. It's kind of how we feel talking about this subject to you all, except for we have four children and zero theories, okay? Um, we just um, are really thankful to have God's Word to dive into together. Uh, somebody has asked us at points in time what it's like to have four children. Uh, I think the best way to describe that it's like you're drowning and then somebody tosses you a baby, okay? <laughs> That's how we feel uh, so many times, even right now, uh, when we wake up and uh, when we leave this time. We're thankful for these times because we have somebody else. Drowning instead of us right now over in that building over there. So, um, again, thankfully we just don't have theories and we don't have to drown. We have God's word to kind of direct us in these ways. I love this passage from Psalm 127, 3 through 5, a picture of what our parenting relationship should look like. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Whether we have one children or many children, four, five, six, ten, again, I don't know how many family bigger families are represented here, they should be considered, and they are a heritage from the Lord, a fruit and a reward to us, and like a harrow in our hands, we're launching them out of this world, and they need our guidance, their instruction, but it takes a real commitment um, in several ways to see that kind of unfold for you. At the back of your handout from earlier, you've got a section here to take some notes and follow along, Again, you can do that in your Home Life Cafe brochures as well. Um, Here's a few parenting myths that we find parents uh, find when they come uh, into these conferences or days like this, a few parenting myths that we've even had over the years. First one is this, I have no responsibility for the ultimate choices my children make. Okay, sometimes it's easy for me to go, you can make your own choice, Uh, you've got to live and deal with that. The reality is that as their parent, I do have some amount of responsibility for the ultimate choices my children are making now, and the choices they will make long after they're out of my home, out of my responsibility uh, directly and the influence that I have over them. Second myth is this, I have total responsibility for the ultimate choices my children make. Too many times I think parents, we feel like we've got to do everything right, everything perfect to make sure that we don't mess them up. Uh, what I've discovered is my kids came out pretty messed up, um, and they are continuing to make choices that are continuing to be uh, messed up. We're trying to help and shape them in this way. I am not totally responsible, but I do have some responsibility for the decisions that they make in their lives. Third myth is this, and this may apply to some of you in the room whose parents' children have left their home. Um, I, my parenting influence ends when my children leave the home. Okay? I don't believe your influence as a parent ends the moment your child turns 18 or they move out of your house. Your parenting influence is for their lifetime. Uh, it just begins to look different. Okay? It should, as they grow older and develop more, it should begin to be changing, developing more. I'm giving a lot less uh, one-on-one instruction, um, a lot less one-on-one attention uh, to my nine-year-old than I am to my two-year-old. There's just a difference. It changes as they grow older, as they advance. The same thing happens when they grow older and leave the house. Your influence does not end when they leave the home. Uh, That's a myth that we're not going to believe as we move on through this morning. Uh, We're going to look at three, I believe, three commitments that we make in parenting. Here's actually here's the parenting commitment uh, that I think uh, we're making as parents. Godly parenting is a lifelong process of investment and surrender to see your children become the person God intends a blessing to the world, and the kind of adult that you would want to hang out with, okay? I think if we can keep this in mind, that this is the commitment that we're making when God blesses us with children, that it's a lifelong process of continuing to invest in them, of continuing to surrender them to the Lord, okay, because they belong to the Lord, Um, then you begin to uh, see them become the kind of person that God intends, hopefully a blessing to the world around them, and then ultimately the kind of adult that you would want to hang out with. We're going to kind of unpack all these things and talk about some investments that we make parenting. So here's some parenting investments. The first one I believe is this, it's time. Okay, as a parent, we make this investment of time. Here's some parenting statistics for you. We found this uh, from a few years ago from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. The average uh, person has about 5.3 hours of leisure time a day, the average adult. 5.3 hours of leisure time per day. Over two and a half hours of that is spent in front of a TV. Only 35 minutes a day is spent on any kind of socializing with other humans. 90 minutes to two hours a day is spent on parenting, but here's the, here's the really sad stat. The deliberate conversation uh, with their children, less than three minutes a day. So of all that leisure time that we have, the average uh, parent is spending less than three, minute, three minutes a day with deliberate conversation with their kids and only about 2.4 minutes reading. That's just over six minutes per day. Now, some of you may be going, I remember the good old days. Uh, the reality is that that number is on the rise and has been since the 1960s. Okay? So this is not just a new phenomenon of the amount or lack of time that parents on average are spending with their kids, uh, but it is something that we need to address. An investment of time is the number one thing that we can make and that they need. Our children need our investment of time in their lives. Here are some ways that we find the best ways to invest that time. I think attending church and worship together is one of the number one ways that you can spend time with your kids. Okay, you're modeling for them in that. You're showing that that's a commitment and a prior for them to be seeking the Lord together. It's something that you're doing together as a family. I think carving out that time to be in church and worship together like you're doing today, and like many of you done this week, shows them that that's a priority in their lives, but a great way to spend time together. Next way is to have regular meals together. Okay? This is something that we're still working through and struggling with. Um, 80% of families say it's a priority to eat uh, dinner together, but only one in three eat together every single night. 50% eat together less than they did when they were growing up, okay? That's the statistics happening in our families today. It's true of us. Uh, what we're discovering is that mealtimes are often really chaotic, uh, but they're worth it. Maggie, why don't you share uh, one of those stories, especially from our early years, of how chaotic mealtime can be?
1: Um, sorry, I'm watching the pizza guy. We were getting pizza for our kids, and he's, like, pulling up. I could see him looking in the store, so I'm like, no, don't come. Don't come in this way. Okay. Um, <clears throat> oh, here he comes we can all stare at him that'll make him feel good. Okay, so meal time. This is very appropriate for right now. What did you ask me?
0: Tell a story.
1: Yes. Are we telling we're telling them what a not chaotic a chaotic meal to story. Do. Okay. We had those. So, when I was first being a mama and I had you know, I would get up in the morning and um I don't know about you guys, but breakfast time is my most, one of my most chaotic moments, and um, my kids, they just don't wake up peacefully. They, it's like they wake up, and they're Tasmanian devils. They just, I don't know what <laughs> happens. They just go nuts, and um, they're running everywhere, all over the place, and they don't sit in their chairs. We're working on it, but especially when I was starting out, they don't just sit down and eat food. They fall out of their seats, and all of a sudden, everything is hilarious, And it doesn't even make sense, and um, so I would be trying so hard to get food in my kids because I thought if anything I do anything today, I'm I need to keep them alive. I knew good mothers at least keep their children alive, so I thought we we've we've,
0: we've been successful at that. Yes, so
1: so far, if all you do is keep them alive, you're still winning. Okay, and so I would try to get food in them, but they just didn't sit still. So my children, toddlers, they're running all over the the house all over the kitchen and I had an idea it was a terrible idea but I was trying to survive and I said guys um mommy has a game that we're gonna play and I'm naming it uh drive through and what you do since you're already running around the table uh when you get to mommy's spot I want you to pause and you pretend like this is the drive through, and I'm going to f- put food in your mouth and um Terrible idea. So they're like, "Yay, drive through!" So every meal, what happened was they would run around, and I'm like, "Drive through, stop!" And they, I give them food. And I thought I was doing great because I'm giving them food. As you can imagine, that is nuts. Okay. And so Brent would come home for dinner, <laughs> and he'd be like, "What is going on?" I'm like, "It's that's called drive through. You just you give food to them when they run around." And he's like, kind of participating. Like when they get to his spot, they have to stop. And he's, but he has some sense, because he's, he's been with grown-ups all day at the office. <laughs> so he knows this is not normal human behavior, and he starts he's trying to give me these chats that that's, actually, we can't raise our children that way after all. And, uh, but the funny thing is, uh, my mom and my sister, they would come over every once in a while. But if I had a kid, they would fly from Arkansas, and they would be with me for a little bit. And, um they must have noticed the chaos. Yeah.
0: No, they definitely noticed the chaos, yeah. <laughs> Pretty hard to miss, They for were sure. really
1: gracious. I remember them giving me some advice, and I was thinking, I was like, that's neat. I never thought about that before, like, have your kids sit still. <laughs> that's, a neat, that's a neat thing to think about. But um, way later, I was in Arkansas again with my family, and my mom, and both two different times, my mom and my sister both said it when they weren't even around each other. They had been talking, though. And they said, Maggie, um, you got, I can tell you're really working on discipline. And I was like, what are you talking about? They're like, your kids are sitting down at the table. And I really I blame that all on Brent. But that's just an example. Like, if you're still in the survival mode, hopefully you'll get out of it.
0: We're starting a new restaurant concept. I think we're going to open here in Savannah. So you should come check out a restaurant where we feed you food as you run by. <laughs>
1: It's like a work. It's like you burn calories and you get to eat at yeah, the same time. Yeah,
0: well, that we're onto something, I think. So, uh, here's another one: uh, family activities together. So, I think just carving out time to do fun things together, uh, game nights, bike rides, park or movie nights. Um, again, think about creative things that you can do together. If you have an interest or hobby, invite your kids into those things with you. Uh, create these as being family hobbies and things together. But just carving out some time for family activities together. Uh, household responsibilities. So this idea um, it comes in twofold. Number one, uh, many hands usually do make light work. Okay, When they're younger, not always. Sometimes it actually creates more work, but you're doing two things. You're training them with life skills they're going to need in the future, uh, but you're also spending time together while you're doing something independently. One thing that we've always done uh, together is gone grocery shopping uh, together as a family, which um, sounds crazy. Also ter- a terrible idea. Um, I've learned... <laughs> I've learned for some of you uh, that that's your only alone and peaceful times, so don't ruin that, okay, don't take that away, uh, but it's created it's avenues for us to be able to be together instead of being apart, okay, one night a week where we would have been apart, we're actually doing these things together, what, you're, you're still... Not...
1: I recently decided it's a terrible idea.
0: We're still doing it, though.
1: <laughs> it's still, yeah, it's, it's stressful.
0: Yeah, it is stressful, but I think it's worth it. Um, it's just an idea, you don't, have to, uh, you don't have to apply all these things. They
1: wanted us to fight, so this is our fight in front yes, of you guys.
0: Yes, right. Uh, so maybe you think about that, and this, this is the picture that you come to mind. A woman sees a father shopping with a fussy two-year-old in his grocery cart. Be patient, Billy, he whispers. You can handle this, Billy. It's okay, Billy. The woman said to him, I don't mean to interrupt your shopping, but I just had to tell you how wonderfully loving and patient you are with little Billy. The man replied, actually, my son's name is Patrick. My name is Billy, okay? Okay. Dads, maybe that's what you're thinking with this idea of going grocery shopping with your families. Um, but again, there's avenues and opportunities in family household responsibilities to do these things. Together, meal prep and clean up. Our daughter loves to help with these kind of things. The more we invite her into that, you get them actually talking about good things together. You're training them with life skills. My boys love to help me with house projects. It takes twice as long, uh, but I'm not going to do a good job anyway. So I might as well involve them and have some family time together. Yard work is one of those things too. Uh, We also tried this other thing at some point in time, uh, what we called advertising uh, laundry parties. Maggie, why don't you share that story?
1: Yeah, so Brent could tell that I was overwhelmed with the laundry, and so he decided on Saturdays that we would have a laundry party. We named it Party, so the kids would think it would be fun. And so we announced, Laundry Party! And they all come like running down the stairs, they're thinking it's going to be fun, and they just see laundry on the floor, and they're like, what? But um, the funny thing is, one time we are all sitting down for a laundry party, and um, Gideon gets really spiritual on us, and he's like, I just don't understand. And we're like, what are you talking about? He goes, I just don't understand why we're doing work on the Sabbath. And Brent was like, where have you heard the Sabbath before? And he's like, oh, Mom used to read the Bible to us. So that's just a funny, a funny story. It doesn't always work out. We just keep at it. Yep.
0: So they're going to find ways to get out of these kind of behaviors and, and activities together. But I think even involving them, household responsibilities does a number of things. Think about ways you can incorporate that. Uh, final one here is vacations. I actually really believe uh, the importance of taking vacations together. Uh, we were not as good at practicing that in the earlier years. Now that our kids are older and we have this new crazy rhythm, uh, we're finding that actually uh, time away uh, together really means something to our kids. Um, and it's worth that financial investment, that sacrifice. It doesn't have to be expensive, okay? The kids really don't know the difference between Disney World and just going uh, camping or uh, having a staycation where you actually stay at your house but you find fun things in your community to do. There's ways to do this in inexpensive formats, but I think retreating and vacation together can be really helpful.
1: Just don't call it vacation because <laughs> you'll think it's going to be relaxing. Just call it a trip and then, um, then you won't be disappointed. That'll
0: help your mindset. Yeah, that's great. Um, consider the trade-offs in all these ways. What's more important? More money, more security, more stuff, or more time together? Okay, one of the things that I'm, I'm most um, convinced is something that we really could adapt in our families is to consider how long you're commuting uh, to your job. Okay, the average commute right now in America today is three and a half hours a day. Okay? That's three and a half hours where you're not with your children um, and could be. Um, Is it worth the house that you're in, the community you're living in, or the job that you have that you're sacrificing to make those kind of commutes and those trips? Again, providing is important, but what's more important? More money? more security, more stuff, or more time together. Uh, Dear Abby used to write this column years ago. Here's a quote that she said, If you want your children to turn out well, spend twice as much time with them and half as much money. Okay, people look at our lives sometimes and they can't figure out how we um, have what we have. God is amazing in provision for us. But what we tell them is that we made a commitment years ago, not saying this is for every family, but for Maggie to stay at home because of the time investment that our young children needed. What we've committed to do together is we're making a lot of financial sacrifices Um, A lot of things that we're willing to go without so that we can spend more time together as a family because spending twice as much time together is more important than twice as many things that they could have to use and to play with along the way. Again, consider the trade-offs that you can make in your schedule that may come at some financial sacrifice, at a sacrifice of the things that you're able to provide them with the idea of being able to spend more time together. So here's the question. All three. I need to uh, move past that. There we go. Uh, what trade-offs could we make in order to spend more quality time together? Okay. What changes need to be happening in your routines, your rhythms, your schedules, uh, maybe even your job, uh, maybe even in your, where you live, to be able to spend more time together as a family? You cannot recover time. Time is the one thing that you can never recover, so consider how you're spending that and what you could do to make changes to be able to apply that together. Uh, parenting commitment number two is this idea of training. Um, we're going to show this uh, video clip here. Um, to get you to understand that training is this uh, relationship that doesn't mean uh, that you're always going to uh, be your kid's most favorite person on the earth. So go ahead and share that video, Mason. So again, this idea that training is something that takes a lot of work um, and sacrifice, but again, Proverbs 22, 6 us, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. We make a sacrifice, an investment in our kids to actually begin to train them. Time is one part, training is the second part. Hear my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Proverbs twenty eleven. Both of these pieces imply that we have some instruction and teaching that we're expected, required, and need to do to help our kids become the kind of people that God created them to be and the kind of people that we want to hang out with uh, when they're adults. Here's how I think we begin by uh, training. I uh, think we start by instructing right beliefs, okay? I think you all have a good foundation for that here. You've got a good uh, gospel-centered, word-centered church that's doing that. Uh, Maggie, uh, again, we've we've tried that over the years, reading our Bible to our kids. We've been uh, successful off and on about that over the years. Um, I think important to teaching them uh, God's stories, so um, helping them see in the Old Testament the, old, the, the stories of faith that people had is important. Uh, Maggie, share one of your uh, other favorite stories about reading the Bible to the kids about Sam.
1: Yeah, so... In our minds, when we say we're going to sit down and read the Bible to our kids, we think that they're all going to just sit there and be in awe, you know, of God. But in reality, they don't care a thing in the world about the Bible. And um, they're bored out of their minds. And again, everything is hilarious. They're falling out of their chairs. So I've tried different things over the years, um, trying to get God's Word in them. And I realized that at bedtime, that nobody wants to go to bed anyways, and suddenly they're wide awake. And so I thought, well, I think I'll just sit down in the hallway when it's time for them to go to bed, and I'll read, like, a chapter to them. And um, so I did that for a little while, and um, for some reason, I started in Genesis, though. And um, it's like, yeah, and then the world was destroyed by flood. Sweet dreams, you know? <laughs> but, um
0: it's but, no worse than Adventures in Odyssey. They're getting scared of that true, right yeah. now. Yeah.
1: So um, I, went, I was in the genealogies, and I don't know why did I just skip that part, but I was like, and so-and-so lived this many years, and then he died, and so-and-so lived this many years, and he died. You know, I'm just doing my best to get the Word of God in them. And Sam, he was like three years old at the time, and so many people died that he literally thought the Bible was called, I Die. And so I didn't realize he thought that till I, I I go get the Bible, and he'd be like, oh, we read I die, I die. So, I, you know, over the years, you just kind of have to think of different creative ways. Sometimes what you're doing isn't working out so good. So you just move on to something else, but just the staying at it again.
0: Yep, you just try to get God's Word into them in any means possible. Scripture memory is another way to do that, so find ways creatively. Um, I've, I realized early on with Gideon uh, that just there was an alphabet, simple alphabet, A, B, C is a verse for every letter of the alphabet. He learned Scripture really quickly, even at three, four years old. Um, So they're never too young. It's getting harder at my age to learn Scripture, getting them that early. So much of what I know about Scripture I learned as a kid through different programs in my church and whatnot. So there's lots of tools and resources out there for you teach them doctrine. So I think they're never too early to start learning these things. Uh, My family, uh, we started practicing. Uh, We need to get back in the habit of this one, actually. Um, There's a New City Catechism, which had a, a way to shape their minds with right doctrine um, at an early stage, but have it in short question and answer format. Um, and so, one of the first things that we learned was, uh, what is our only hope in life and death? The kids would answer that, uh, this world, that this life is not my own, but belongs to God's. So, teaching them some form of doctrine um, in this short question and answer statement is a great way to do that. All of these things, whether it's getting God's Word in them, the stories, Scripture, doctrine, what you're trying to help them do is to connect the choices that they make the mission we're on and the things that we do with what the, our faith tells us to do, okay? That's what the goal of this is in instructing right beliefs, help them to see that the choices they make and the mission they're on is in a part of a bigger picture of what God wants to do in and through each one of us. Deuteronomy 6, 6-7 gives us a picture of this, and these words that I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way. When you lie down and when you rise. This is the picture of continually finding ways, creative ways, whether you're in the car or you're at the dinner table or you're just getting ready for the day or getting ready at night to be able to get God's word into them. We need to put more of these things in practice ourselves as I'm thinking about that today. Here's a few resources for you to consider helping you in this journey. Uh, Only one of those is on our book table, but you can find these on Amazon. The first one there with a bird, Together, Growing Appetites for God. This is written by a friend of ours in our small group, Carrie Ward. Uh, This is her story, her journey of reading the Bible to her kids. They've been through it now probably three times. They started when their kids were young. Uh, They're all high school age or older now. But lots of funny stories about just the value and importance of getting God's Word into her kids, reading the Bible through, Uh, funny stories that happened in that encounter. There's a lot of things in Scripture that create funny moments, with your kids when you just start reading the Bible to them. Uh, If you do not know about the Jesus Storybook Bible, that's the greatest children's Bible that we've ever found along the way. It puts the picture of Jesus at the center of every story, Um, and the great rescue and redeemer that he is coming, great resource uh, for parents or grandparents, uh, just a simple way to get the stories of the Bible in a level they can understand with engaging pictures, great resource there. And then that New City Catechism is what we've used to kind of teach our kids some doctrine along the way. Uh, so again, I believe that the second training instructor, right believe, but also then you've got to demonstrate obedient living, okay? This whole saying yes to God thing begins not only with the truth that you learn or are trying to teach them, but you've got to demonstrate this for them. That's teaching them spiritual practices. So are they observing you praying, okay? Are you teaching them how to pray by your um, demonstrating that for them? Are you teaching them how to read and study the Bible as you're doing that individually and collectively? Are you teaching them how to worship when they get opportunities to sit in a worship service with you? Or are you teaching them how to do that? And then even in the, some lesser known spiritual practices, maybe you have a habit of uh, doing prayer walking or fasting, those kind of things. If you can show them and invite them into those practices with you, you're teaching them the skills they need. You're demonstrating for them the skills they need to be able to walk with Christ down the road too.
1: And sometimes when we talk about Bible reading and praying, we kind of put it in this super spiritual category that we don't know how to actually translate that into our real nitty-gritty life. And so a funny example of, like, teaching my kids to pray. Um, Some days I am literally falling apart. Like, I just read the news, and the world feels like it's doomed, and I don't know how I'm going to raise these kids in this world. You know, and I start to get really fearful. And uh, there literally have been times... um, in my trailer and in my house at home, I have this closet in my bathroom, and I go in there. Sometimes I'm like, I just need to get in a closet with Jesus in a fetal position and pray, you know? And um, I one time I went in my bathroom, took the hamper out of the closet, pulled the door shut. Probably not great parenting because all my children are running around the house, you know? And I'm in there in the dark, and I'm like crying and praying like, Jesus, help and uh, reminding myself what's true, crying out for help for parenting. And my kids, I can hear them, Mom, where are you? Mom, 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 Mom. And I'm like, um, I just need to have another minute. And they find me every time. No matter where I hide, they come and find me. And one day, Gideon, he comes in the bathroom, and I'm like, um, I'm in here. This muffled sound comes out. And they pull open the door, and they're just staring at me. And Mommy's crying, you know. And they're like, Mom, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm just asking Jesus for help they're like okay can we get a snack like they just are totally unfazed and they just you know the truth is they just need to see that you're really desperate and you're in the same boat as them you have emotional breakdowns sometimes too and they just need to see it like truly lived out it's not like fold your hands and let's all say hallelujah chorus together like it's it's the real stuff but that's how they'll know that God really is with us in our daily life
0: Right now they see us living that out when we get in the truck to head anywhere down the road. The first thing that we always do is we just simply pray this prayer, uh, God help daddy to drive this truck, okay? So um, there's simple ways that you can teach them that. Just this set and mindset that every opportunity is an opportunity to invite God into whatever you're doing and the ways that you can ask him for your help in these ways. Again, demonstrating obedient living. Uh, Another way you can do that, you can teach them how to interact with others. So you can show them what kindness looks like. Uh, What we've learned is that yelling, be kind, uh, is not a helpful way to approach that. Uh, We've tried that at times. It doesn't seem to reiterate the things that we're trying to help them to see, teaching them that others are more important than ourselves. And then this modeling of how to seek and extend forgiveness. Uh, This is a really big one. Sometimes uh, as parents, I think we struggle uh, with actually asking our kids to forgive us when we've um, responded in anger, uh, when we've corrected them in a way that was not helpful, uh, when we've uh, interacted with each other that's not helpful. But the more that we can model that out for them, they're going to catch it more than they're going to be taught it. Okay, so modeling that out, how to seek and extend forgiveness is a great way. Are you willing to be able to humble yourself and even tell your kids when you've been wrong so that they can see how to do that when they get further down the road as well? Again, it's not just demonstrating obedient living. You also do have to correct wrong behaviors, okay? Um, Sometimes this is the most challenging part because we do, inside each one of us, want to have a good relationship with our kids, uh, want them to know that we love them and care about them, and sometimes it can feel like uh, that we, in in the correction process, that we're actually creating a distance and a divide uh, between them. I think the key with that is starting early. So here's a, a verse from Proverbs about that. Uh, oh, no here. Um, Proverbs 2011, even a child makes himself known by his acts, whether his conduct is pure and right. So again, by correcting wrong behaviors, you're helping them see that they're going to be known for how they act. How we're known, our reputation to the world around us is very dependent on how we act. Um, again, I think we correct wrong behaviors by starting early. Proverbs nineteen eighteen. discipline your son while there is hope and do not desire his death, okay? It's never too early to start with correcting behaviors. Our two-year-old, we're doing that right now, but it looks different each phase of the way, okay? The, the way you discipline your children depends on their phase and season of life and sometimes on their pers- personality. Um, this is the other part of this, know what they need, okay? Do you know what will most help your children know what's right and what's wrong? Each of my children is very different. Some of my children uh, need um, a certain way of parenting. Other ones need a very different way of parenting. Some of them just need to have a conversation with me, okay? What I found the most effective ways for some of my children is if I will sit down on the couch with them and have a conversation and help them see how that's wrong, that's most effective. Others of my children, they actually need to have privileges removed from them. So you need to go uh, be in your room now by yourself, um, and you need to go take a nap. Okay? I will tell that to even my 8- uh, and 9-year-old children sometimes. You need to go lay down in your bed for 30 minutes. Um, you're not allowed to play. You're not allowed to read. You just need to sit there and think about what you did and take a little rest and take a break. Um, in other ways, there's always ways that you can walk through these relationships. But think about what your children needs. Uh, there's been points in our parenting relationship with uh, some of what we did to correct them uh, was actually embarrassing to them. They got to a certain phase where it was not their behavior that was embarrassing to them. The way that I was correcting them actually embarrassed them. That's not a helpful parenting approach or technique. Again, they should feel remorse and embarrassment over their behavior, but they do not need to feel that over the way that they're being corrected. As they get older, be considerate of those things in those ways. Be discerning and asking questions Um, When they realize, you can sense sometimes and hear that what I did in in the discipline and the correcting was what embarrassed them, not their behavior. They already felt enough remorse over that. I just added to their embarrassment with how I corrected them publicly and sometimes even privately. So be careful about that.
1: Um, As we all know, we don't usually know what our kids need. Um, We're kind of clueless sometimes. and um, So this is the joy of parenting with God with the Holy Spirit, is that we can actually ask him like, oh, what in the world do I do now? And I have a daughter who is super emotional, like off the charts, and she's probably normal. But to me, she's like, whoa, like did you eat some food dye? That, is that why you're acting like this?
0: This was, this was like Thursday night yeah. here at the church, just so you know. Yeah. yeah.
1: And um, so there are many times when I want to send her away Till she can get her act together, you know? So you can, you just go over there in your room until you can speak logic. And um, in, in those moments, the Holy Spirit will say, um, that's actually not what she needs. She doesn't need separation from you. She needs you to go and hold her. Um, And to help her feel safe and secure. And honestly, that's the last thing I want to do. I want, for my own convenience, I would like her to get away from me. Um, And so the times when I've gone into her room and she's screaming and she's kicking and she's fighting. And I sit on her bed and I just kind of scoop her up. And she doesn't want me to hold her at first. And i just like, no, mama's going to hold you. I'm going to help you feel safe. And I want you to know that I love you. And as she calms down... um, And she starts to get that love tank filled back up. It's like the Holy Spirit says to me, Maggie, that's how I parent you. You know, when you're berserk or when you're falling apart, I don't tell you go over there till you get your act together. I always invite you into closeness with me. And so that's the joy of of parenting with the Holy Spirit is that we, we don't know what to do, but God does know what to do for our kids.
0: In this way, I think this passage from Ephesians, uh, or I'm sorry. Uh, So the next one is love, uh, not anger. So again, when you're correcting them, you need to do so out of a posture of love, not anger. Sometimes that takes time and space. You've got to cool down and realize that um, what you're responding to out of anger is because of your pride. Okay, you don't like that they uh, acted in a way that you could not control. So you've got to be able to respond and move yourself out of that and move towards, I care about your best interest, so I'm going to correct you out of love, not because you did something that I don't like. But because I care about your heart, your soul, and your future, I'm going to spend that time correcting you out of love and not anger. A verse without Ephesians 6 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. As we respond in anger, that's just going to invoke and incite more anger, more frustration in them, or close them up where you can't really help them and figure out what's going on, help them make changes for the future. And again, third one, uh, fourth one here, I think target rebellion, not immaturity. Okay, there's a very real difference sometimes with our kids, whether their um, attitude and actions was uh, because they're childish or because they're rebellion. So I've had to realize sometimes that I wanted to correct and discipline my kids for some way that they were acting, only to realize that's just how a four-year-old acts, and I'm still working and coaching them on that. Other times, I'm realizing that I'm res- Responding and correcting them because my four-year-old did something uh, completely against what I had instructed them to do in many other conversations. So you got to target these areas of rebellion, not immaturity. Uh, here's the question and related to this: How do you um, increase in love and discipline? How do you find that balance there? Um, first one I think there uh, that we can sometimes find ourselves in is that you are lacking in love and that you're lacking in discipline. You just become an uninvolved parent. You give up and you say, I don't care what you do. Okay, I've been guilty of being in that category sometimes where in a moment I'm not feeling um, and demonstrating love towards my kids and I'm just wanting to do my own thing so I'm not willing to be, I'm an uninvolved parent. I'm telling them, I don't care what you do. My other tendency um, in my operating my flesh is to move to that authoritarian side um, where I'm increasing discipline but I still don't have that love as my motivation. I begin to just give orders and I tell my kids, you need to do this because I said so. Instead of taking the time to explain to them why it's important not only now but for the future, I just begin to give orders and I expect them to do what I want uh, because it's what I want for those moments. I'm willing to be correcting their behaviors, but I'm not doing so with a posture of love. Maggie, talk about being a permissive parent there of, um, that's how you operate when you're high in love but low in discipline.
1: Yes. So that's where we struggle is Brent is big disciplinarian. Usually it's like you get married to whoever does the opposite of you. And so it's like good parent, bad parent, and your kids figure out which one is the Which easiest. one are you
0: saying that I am?
1: <laughs> Not bad parent, but you know, in your kid's mind, you're like, oh, don't ask dad that. He's going to say no. So we're going to secretly come over here and ask mom. And so Brent's had to teach me, like, I do actually have to say no. My kids will, they come up with the best arguments and I'm like, oh, okay. and I fall for it almost every time. I'm like, <laughs> oh, that is a good idea. And Brent's like, no, we said no. And so we, we constantly have to help each other. Sometimes he's being super rigid, and I'm like, why are we saying no? Like, what, is, what, what can we do differently? And then sometimes Brent has to say, Maggie, lay down the law, or they're going to grow up crazy like they're acting right now. So we help each other with that.
0: Yep, so that idea of being a permissive is giving in and you say that your kids, I trust you to do the right thing. I've learned I don't trust my kids to do the right thing uh, without a lot of instruction, okay? But my nine-year-old has more freedoms now um, I trust he'll do the right thing because he's had more time with us. He's demonstrated that in some ways. But sometimes as a parent, we can just say, I trust you to do the right thing. The goal here is that balance where you're high in love but also willing to correct and discipline. You give them choices and you do so because you care and you let them earn those freedoms. That's where we're at with our nine-year-old right now. We're not all the way there yet with our eight-year-old. Okay, Our eight-year-old has not really had a, a believe, a profession of faith in Christ and we're seeing that demonstrated. So she does not have the freedoms because of her maturity uh, as, a, as a human, but also maturing Christ that our nine-year-old does. So we have those conversations with them, too, when they see a difference, why they're being parented differently. We're telling them those things as well. Uh, here's, again, the goal uh, for this, uh, what we have to think about why a discipline is important. Proverbs thirteen twenty four: those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. Do you love your kids enough to correct the wrong behaviors to discipline them when the time comes? Um, or you're demonstrating that you don't actually care about their well-being. You care more about them being liking you or your um, current relationship with them in the moment. Uh, so again, training. Uh, instruct about beliefs, demonstrate obedient living, correct wrong behaviors. Uh, the question is this in this area of training. What areas of training need the most focus? Is it the instruction? Is it the correction or the demonstration of those things? What area of your parenting life right now needs the most um, examples of how to follow that in the right kinds of ways. What areas of training do you need to put the most focus into? Uh, here's a parenting commitment. Oh, I've got the wrong slides here. Oh, yeah. Here's the third one. Third parenting commitment is this, finances. So um, I've learned that that children are expensive. Here's a story uh, from from trucker life uh, as a family that lives and comes in and out of truck stops. Believe it or not, we stick out pretty much like a sore thumb at truck stops, okay? Uh, We're not the normal people uh, that are frequenting those places. Um, Normally, there are people by themselves uh, or with maybe one other person, not a whole family of six and a dog. Uh, So one time we're in your great state of Tennessee. I can't remember exactly where we were at, uh, but we were passing through here. uh, And we stopped at this truck stop and I get out. I'm filling up uh, fuel, the kids, and Maggie and the kids and the dog are over here taking the dog out to the bathroom. I'm walking into the truck stop, begin to have a conversation with another trucker guy. Uh, Trucker conversations looks like this. Okay, that was about the extent of our conversation, okay? Um, You know, brother, about that. So I walk into the truck stop. He begins to ask the attendant, all those kids in one truck, okay? So she noticed that there was um, a little bit thing out of his environment world there, Um, And she said, yeah, they're they're with this guy right here. So um, that struck up a conversation with us. Um, He asked me, doesn't that get expensive, um, traveling with all those kids? I said, do you mean having all those kids or traveling with all those kids? Because the answer is yes. Like, it's very expensive in that. He began to try to relate to me by telling a story of a buddy he knew that traveled with two Rottweilers. Apparently, that's the closest thing (laughs) in trucker world. Four kids, it's two Rottweilers in the truck with them. So, um, parenting is a commitment of time and finances in these ways. I was just saying
1: that's what we look like when we get out of the truck at the church. It's kind of embarrassing for me because we're usually re- meeting the pastor for the first time, and we literally look like we just got out of the truck with a couple of wa- Rottweilers. <laughs>
0: it's true, it's true. We're not too far away usually. Um, so, here's the, here's the reality it takes a lot of financial investment to get um, your kids where you want them to go. Um, but are you willing to make, what financial changes should we make now that will reap greater rewards in the future? Now, that's not saying that you need to um, completely um, consider just making more money or setting more money aside. Sometimes the commitment with finances, you actually have less financial overflow. We talked about that earlier, so you can spend more time together, less financial resources, but what financial changes do you need to make now that will reap greater rewards in the future? Remembering that that parenting is an investment in their future. Anytime that God calls you, leads you, invites you into this world of being a parent, it is an advancement of all sorts, but one of those is financial. I'm so thankful that our parents um, have modeled that out well well for us. Uh, Maggie's dad, uh, when he passed away a few years ago, uh, one of the things he decided to do was make sure that all of his financial activity was in good order. That way his wife didn't have to deal with it, his kids didn't have to deal with it. It's made the transition of losing Maggie's dad so much easier because we were not left with any financial burden, or any financial struggles or challenges of trying to navigate that whole world, he took sure that was all taken care of before he was gone. Because losing a parent, losing an in-law in my case, but losing a parent is one of the hardest things that we face. Don't consider leaving your kids with anything, anything but a burden, but a blessing. Um, consider the ways that you can do that in your relationship going forward. Uh, here's the parenting surrender, okay? So I think it's an investment, but there's also these areas of surrender. We're going to move through these pretty quickly. First thing that we discover as parents is that you have to surrender your rights. Okay, that's really hard. Okay, I'm a pretty selfish person. I've worked pretty hard throughout my life to get to certain places where I wanted to be for things that I thought I wanted or needed. What I've realized is that being a parent is a surrender to my rights, always in the best interest of my kids. When I'm doing this well, I'm surrendering what I want for what they need or what they want so many times over parenting. A surrender thing you have to first surrender is your rights. Second one is this. It's your dreams. Okay. Okay. Um, and this is a two-fold thing. I've had to give up a lot of dreams that I had for my individual life of uh, becoming a parent. I've not regretted any one of those dreams. They've paled in comparison to what the joys, the hopes, the peace, the incredible amounts of fruit that I've seen in being a parent. But I've had to surrender some individual dreams. I've also learned that surrendering some of my parental dreams is surrendering the dreams that I had for my kids. Okay? So many times I've wanted to have my kids have all of the experiences that I lacked as a parent growing up. I have wanted the dreams that I had for my life that have not been fulfilled to be realized in them, only to realize that they're not me. They're wired completely different to try to make them become the person that I wasn't or to have the things that I didn't have. I had to learn to surrender the dreams that I had for my own life and for their lives and realize that God's got an entirely different picture and dream for them. I'm trying to surrender my dreams for my life and for their lives in a better picture of what God wants for their lives in these ways. Again, uh, Proverbs twenty-two, one gives a picture of this. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver and gold. I'm trying to leave my kids a good name. I want my kids to be proud to say that they were the son of Brent Paulus, they're the son of son or daughter of Brent and Maggie Paulus. That's what we're hoping to see them be able to do in these ways. Um, it's always for their good. So again, this idea of giving them a good name, it's for their good. Parenting is for their benefit, not for my own. There's a lot of joys and and and. Um, hopes and uh, happiness that has come from being a parent, but I'm always finding the best places to find those is when I'm doing things for their own good and not for my own. Uh, We've got a picture here uh, that, oh, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. 11. Uh, I love this picture here uh, that God is telling towards his people, the children of Israel. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. That's God's plans and his hopes for his children, for us, We need to be able to have the same. Do you have plans for your kids that you're willing to surrender in order to be able to fully come to the place where God wants them to be, who he's created them to be? Uh, These are a picture of our two dads here. My dad is there on the left uh, driving a a tractor that he grew up on in the farm. This is my brother's wedding day. That's Gideon in his lap. I love the fact that I can tell my kids because of the parent, uh, the godly legacy my dad's and both of our parents collectively have left. Uh, that my kids can proudly say that I'm the grandson of Denny Paulus. I'm the grandson of Al Johnson. Uh, when we, uh, when Maggie's dad passed away, we got to go back to her hometown and to watch the number of people that came to celebrate his life was great. The ways he impacted as a small-town mechanic um, that was just faithfully living out his faith day in and day out, in the ways he raised his family, the ways he represented Christ to the world. The picture that that painted of leaving this godly legacy for his kids is they both, my dad and Maggie's dad, surrendered their rights their dreams uh, for our good as uh, kids, and now it's being passed on to the next generation of grandchildren. Here's the final question with the parenting uh, area today. Am I raising children for my own benefit in the here and now or surrendering my rights and dreams and surrendering my rights and dreams for their well-being? So here's the question. Sometimes we as parents can begin to raise kids for our own benefit, okay? It paints a really good picture of us in some ways, okay? We want people to think that we're doing a great job as a parent, we want that to be uh, helping our name, our fame, our legacy be lived out in a way that represents us well. But sometimes we can do that at the sacrifice of what's in their best interests for the long term. Are you raising your kids for your own benefit in the here and now, or are you doing so in a way that's surrendering your rights, your dreams for their well-being? That's the question to ask yourselves. Mason, we're going to skip that video. Do I have questions at the end there or not for this message? Go ahead and jump to those for me, buddy. Here's some life in action things to take into account with this. Have you bought into any of the parenting myths, no responsibility, total responsibility, or time limit responsibility? If so, which ones? Are there any of those myths that you've bought into that you need to repent of and turn away from and realize that you have an opportunity to impact their life right now, the decisions they make right now, the decisions they'll make for the rest of their life, no matter where they're at, whether they're out of the house or they're still under your uh, roof and your uh, direct I- insight to them, you have an ability to always help them shape their decision-making as you lived out your life in those ways. Have you bought into those myths? And then finally, which of the three investments, time, training, or finances, should you be more intentional about? Okay, of any of these areas that we're investing into, do you need to spend more time with your kids? Do you need to spend more time uh, training them in a certain way? Or do you need to make more of a greater financial sacrifice to see them benefited uh, for their long-term goal of what God has wants for them out of these ways? Again, here's the commitment that we make. Jump to that commitment slide one more time, Mason. Here's the commitment that we make as parents. Godly parenting is a lifelong process of investment and surrender to see your children become the person God intends, a blessing to the world, and the kind of adult you would want to hang out with. Okay. All of those things are what we're hoping for, striving for with our kids. Uh, we've got ways to grow in this, even teaching this this morning, remembering uh, there's some and training I think that we've got to refocus on together as a family in these ways. So we'll be praying uh, that for you. I want to pray that uh, right now. We'll take a break for 10 minutes. There's new food out there, so help yourselves to the new snacks. Back there, we'll gather back at 12.05. We will do the question and answer time at 12.05, so make sure you've got those ready. We've got another book giveaway to do as well. So if you've got any of those questions, write them on the forms at your table, drop them in the basket in the back. Great opportunity to ask Maggie and I, Greg and Patty, any question related to your marriage or family lives here. Uh, But I'll pray for us, and then we'll take a break for 10 minutes. God, I just want to uh, recommit to you this uh, commitment that I want to make uh, with you. God, thank you for um, the great uh, heritage you've given me and my parents uh, that have raised Meg and I both well. Of of both parents and uh, parents-in-law that are part of our broader family uh, that have helped us see that there's a commitment that comes to parenting that's sacrificial, that's investing, um, and that's surrendering. And I just ask God for our marriage and for our family and for every parent in this room. That they would take to heart these things, begin asking themselves: Are there myths that they bought into, and are there a truths that they need to begin uh, reapplying? Th- ways they need to grow in the time they spend uh, with their kids, uh, the ways they're spending that time, the training that's undergoing, things they need to correct or things they need to instruct differently. And God, is there ways that they need to make financial adjustments to help them uh, think through the best long-term goal for their kids uh, to be a blessing to the world? Uh, the person that you intend them to be, and the kind of adult that we'd want to hang out with. God, I pray for every child represented in this room that that would be uh, the path that you have them on as we make these commitments together. We ask it and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.